Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. Wow, I, I have to tell you, I absolutely love being here during missions conferences, and I love getting a front row seat to watch what's on their faces as they begin to notice what's going. That, that is just fantastic. Liberty Baptist Church, you have outdone yourselves again, and it is such a joy to get to be a part and be here with you for this special night. John chapter number 4. John chapter number 4. We're going to be reading there from John chapter 4 tonight, and I know what some of you Bible students are thinking. Brother Bill, you're literally going to the Samaritan woman for tonight. Yeah, that's what we're going to be looking at. John chapter number 4. John chapter number 4. I'd like to say a thank you to all of those who have been behind the scenes. For example, I just love the interns that are here this year. Uh, they're, they're just great guys. There's David, and uh, he's such a great guy. And then there's David, and he's also a great guy. And, and of course, Sam. And so, uh, praise God for David, David, and Sam. Uh, for all of the ladies that have been behind the scenes preparing food, preparing snacks, bringing together all kinds of stuff. Thank you so much. Um, we're already determined to go home and go on a diet again, but uh, it's been great while we've been here. We certainly have enjoyed it. And uh, church, thank you for all the many things that you've done. John chapter number four, let's begin reading in verse number four. John chapter four, verse number four. The Bible says, and he, talking about Jesus, must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink, for his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children and his cattle. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what we've already seen and heard tonight. But Lord, I ask, I pray that you would please speak to our hearts. Help us to see from this passage, Lord, our responsibility. And then, Lord, help us to understand that it's also our privilege. Lord, I pray tonight that you would speak to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be faithful in obeying your will for our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I am fully convinced that every single Christian in the world, everyone who is a believer in Christ, needs to be involved 
in helping the gospel of Jesus Christ to go to all of the countries, in all of the world, to every city, to every tongue, to every tribe, to every creature. I believe that that is God's will for every believer. And by the way, as you sat in church tonight, I'm sure that some of you looked up here at the gifts and you saw the faces of the people as they saw what they were receiving and you said, wow, that was awesome. Some of you gave an elbow to your spouse and you said, look, there goes our gift. Oh, wow, look at that kid's face. He is so excited. Aren't you glad we went ahead and did that? I mean, even though I had to go into Target to buy that thing, you know, I'm... <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 17, Paul writes, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. You see, every one of us needs to be involved in helping someone hear the gospel and understand that they can spend eternity with Christ in heaven. Today, we went out to eat. Pastor Tice took me to a restaurant along with Pastor Shore and my wife, and we had a waitress who was Hispanic, Melissa. And uh, Melissa t came, and she took good care of us. And before we left, I said, Melissa, let me ask you a question. Has anyone ever shown you from the Bible how you can go to heaven? And she said, no, I've never heard about that. And I, I gave her a track from Liberty Baptist Church, and I said, if you'll read this, this shows you step by step how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven. She said, wow, that's great. She said, I'm going to read this. And I said, well, thank you. I said, and then you need to come to Liberty Baptist Church so that you can learn more about your life in Christ. And she said, wow, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Are you aware of the fact that there are people all around us that are searching, that have probably never once heard a simple message regarding salvation and how that they can know that they will spend eternity with Christ in heaven? And we have the privilege... We have the opportunity and the joy of giving them that wonderful message. Tonight I'd like to speak on why I must be involved in missions. Now our ushers, if I understand it right, have some handouts for you. You already have the handouts? You have the handouts? Awesome. I love handouts. All right. Why I must be involved in missions. Every believer needs to be involved in missions for the following four reasons. Number one. God commands us to be involved. Okay, now that's probably the simplest one of all of them, but God commands us to get involved. Now, if we go to our text, we're going to find something here in John chapter 4 and verse number 4 that when you consider the entire scope of the ministry of Christ, there is something about this verse that immediately draws our attention because the Bible says this, and he, Jesus, must needs go through Samaria. That means that of all of the different things that Jesus needed to do, the only time that you find this particular phrase in Scripture, and you find it three times, twice in regards to his necessity of dying on the cross for our sins, and the third time he must needs go through Samaria. That's pretty impressive. Of all of the different places that Jesus went, the only one that the Bible, the Scripture records, that he absolutely needed to visit is Samaria. Now, why on earth Samaria? Well, let's think about this for just a second. In Matthew chapter 28, and verses 19, 18 through 20, 
The Bible says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. Okay, so now Jesus has given a commission to his disciples. Uh, we can look at another one of those over in Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 8, where as Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, the Bible records, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, let's think about that for just a second. God commands us to go locally, that's our Jerusalem, to go to our region, that's our Judea. He commands us to go to those people within our particular nation that perhaps are not part of our own culture. Do you realize that the United States of America is one of the most multicultural countries in the entire world? We go to New York City every summer, and the school district where we go, they speak 880 different languages. I love it, okay? I'm like, yes, bring somebody else to me that speaks something else. Uh, earlier today, I had the privilege of speaking to someone on the phone in Hindi. I had the privilege of speaking to someone at the hotel in Russian. I thrive on stuff like that. I just love it. And here Jesus must needs go through Samaria. And then the Bible says, not only locally, regionally, those that go beyond our community, but the entire world, the utmost, the farthest reaches of the world. That's where God wants us to go. Now, where exactly did Jesus get this idea? Notice what John 20, verse number 21 says. Then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, listen to this, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Did you realize that when Jesus came here to this earth, his Father had told him, now son, while you're down there, you're going to be around all these Jewish people in Israel, okay? But you must go to Samaria. That's why this verse says, and he must needs go through Samaria. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. So what was the situation regarding Samaria? What was so different about Samaria? Samaritans were considered traitors by everyone. They were outcast. They were reviled. They were rejected. Who were they? They were the descendants between the offspring of Assyrian soldiers who had been left in the land of Israel after the first captivity, and they had taken a lot of the Jews back to Assyria. They left some of the Assyrian soldiers in Israel to dominate the land and to control them and to subjugate them. And then... All of a sudden, here's these girls, these Israeli girls, and they're looking at these fancy guys wearing fancy uniforms and thinking, if I get married to them, I've got a, you know, a very comfortable life. I'm going to have a nice place to live. I'll have the respect of society. I'll have uh, you know, everything I could possibly need. I'm, I'm going to be living with this guy who will take care of anything I want. And so they married these men 
who short years before had taken their fathers and their children and their relatives and their friends into captivity as slaves. And so the Jews look at these children of the Assyrians with the Jewish girls and they, they call them Samaritans and they just despised them. No one, no one liked the Samaritans. Some people are not aware of the fact that the Samaritans live in Israel till today. They still live there. In between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal in Israel, just north of Jerusalem, only about an hour and a half, you're going to come to the town of Nablus. It is one of the most uh, um, conflictive cities in the world. Terrorism is rife in Nablus. Many terrorists were born in Nablus. And just up the hill from Nablus, you find a little village, and it's a village where that there's a bunch of Samaritan people that live. There are approximately 725 Samaritans that live there till today. They continue to celebrate many of the ancient rituals and customs of the past. For example, they still celebrate Passover. They actually have little lambs that they bring in, and you'll see the children as they're kind of bringing the lambs around, and, and, and maybe they'll spray paint them with a, a bright orange X, or, or wrap a blue bag around the neck, or perhaps uh, take a red uh, piece of tape and, and tie it around one of the legs, and that way they can identify which sheep is theirs. And then as, as nightfall comes and the sun begins to set, all of a sudden the men come out and they're all dressed in white. They're, they're dressed in a white cap and a white shirt and white pants and, and white shoes from head to toe entirely in white. And then the ladies and the smaller children come out. And that's one of the most surprising things of all to me, okay? Because they come wearing pajamas and night robes. I don't know if you've ever been, I mean other than Walmart, someplace where people wear pajamas and, 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 and night robes, okay? I mean like everyone there, they're all wearing pajamas and night robes. And so here, here you are, and I asked, I said, so why is it they're wearing pajamas and night robes? And they said, well, oh, that's very easy. The children of Israel, when they celebrated their first Passover, they were commanded to be dressed and ready to leave on a journey. But we're not leaving on a journey. After this, we're going home and we're spending the night. So these ladies and children, they're already ready for bed. They know they don't have to leave. They get to stay here. I thought, oh, wow, that's kind of cool. I still wouldn't want to go around in my pajamas and night robe, however. And then the time comes and, and the sun finally goes just beyond the horizon. And the high priest among the Samaritans, he gives a special sign and, and they all take their little lambs and they lay them down around this altar. And the altar's not that big. It, it might be around uh, 15 to 18 feet square and, and, and there's like a trench all the way around the, the altar and then the middle part is kind of built up and, and there's a place where that they can uh, lay some of the things on top and then there's wood underneath which they're going to get ready with some fire here in just a few moments. And, and then the priest gives the sign and and they take a knife a sharp knife and everyone's quiet there's no noise and they take that sharp knife and they take the life of that little lamb and the blood begins to squirt out and it squirts all over their clothes and and the men begin to shout and to rejoice believing that their sins have been remitted for one more year 
And then they take the skins and they burn them on that altar and, and the entrails and they burn them on that altar. And then they take the little sheep and, and they put a, 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 a special spit through them, a kind of a long piece of wood. And then they wrap them up in sort of this uh, kind of a wire mesh thing. And then they take them over to these other six pits and they begin to roast these lambs, which they will later on take to their homes. And they will enjoy that meal as their Passover meal. 725 people who as far as I know, there is not one missionary of any Christian organization who's trying to reach them. Not even one. When I was there that day, I had the privilege of talking with one of the Samaritan men, and he didn't speak English, but he spoke Hebrew, and so I was speaking to him in Hebrew, and I asked him, has anyone ever told you about Jesus? And he said, well, yeah, I've heard about something about Jesus. The Jews uh, don't like him. And, and the Christians say that he's God. And he says, so I don't really know what that's all about. And I said, well, let me explain a little bit. And so we talked for a few minutes. And he said, wow, I, I've never heard anything about this like this at all. This is very, very unusual. He was intrigued. Now, it's very difficult to get in to be with those people. I had to get special permission from the Israeli government. I had to, uh, to have a background check, and they had to do all kinds of things just so that I could get even in there to be able to speak to those people. Can I tell you that God has given us a commission? And we are to go into all the world, not just where it's easy, but also where it's difficult and hard. You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus must need to go through Jerusalem because, number one, God commands us to get involved. Sometimes, you know, we just look at this and we think, wow, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure about this. Because sometimes God sends us to places we don't like. You know, I, I think about Las Vegas, Nevada, and, and how many Bible college students would say, yippee, God's called me to go start a church in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, probably not the number one place on most young college students' radar for going and starting a church. I mean, you know, it, it doesn't exactly sound like a place where everyone's waiting with open arms to hear the gospel. And yet there are people here who desperately need to hear the gospel. Sometimes God sends us to people that aren't so kind. God sends us to teach truth that is not believed by some people. My wife and I, one day, we were over in Mongolia, and uh, we had to take a taxi to get to church. We didn't have a car at the time. And so uh, in, in Mongolia, you just kind of put your hand out, and any car that stops is a taxi. Okay, that's how you identify them. <laughs> And then you, you kind of make an agreement, and it was about 20 degrees below zero, so we didn't really want to walk, you know, the uh, approximate seven miles to church. That was going to be kind of cold. 20 degrees below zero. You don't often have that here, do you, Pastor Tice? Uh, you have about six, uh, you know, 125 degrees above zero. But um, so we're out there. We got this taxi. We jump inside. Our youngest daughter, Trisha was with us, and we started on our way to the church, and these ladies in the front seat look back at us, and they say, hey, what do you guys do here in Mongolia? And I was excited. I said, well, I'm a Bible translator, and I'm a preacher. We are Christians. And they said, oh, very interesting. And I said, what about you? What do you do? And they said, oh, we're both witches. <laughs> uh, we're actually on our way to this restaurant to perform a seance to get rid of some evil spirits. 
I thought, wait a minute, how does that work, you know? Um, but anyway, you know, the devil can't cast out the devil. That's what the Bible teaches on that. But they were, they were you know, they were witches, and they said, in the back seat, you're going to see all kinds of things that we use for our potions and incantations and all of the different things we do. And I looked back there, and sure enough, there was some pretty weird stuff back there. And uh, I thought to myself, you know, Dr. Tice, I just had this thought. I wonder if anybody has ever shared the gospel with these ladies. And I really doubted it. And I thought, I need to take advantage of this. And so for the next few minutes from there until we got to the church, I was talking to them about Christ and what it meant to be saved and how a person could know that they were on their way to heaven. And they listened for the entire time. Now, they didn't get saved, but when we got out, they said, that was very interesting. Thank you for talking to us. Maybe someday we'll see you again. I don't know if I'll ever see them again. But I can say that I gave them the gospel that day. And I'm so grateful that I had that opportunity. You see, maybe God sent me just that day to be able to speak to those two ladies so that one day they maybe could come to Christ. Wouldn't that be wonderful? A former witch in Mongolia gets saved. Wouldn't that be awesome? But you see, the reason we need to go is because God has commanded us to get involved. But secondly, God is worthy that we should get involved. I want you to look here in this passage because as Jesus continues then talking with this lady and the disciples suddenly come back and they're, you know, kind of like looking at Jesus like, what on earth do you think you're doing? Uh, We don't know about this. And so um, Jesus and the lady are talking and Jesus says to the lady, "Um, would you go call your husband? And she says, well, (laughs) actually, I don't have a husband. Uh, I've been married five times. Uh, Pardon me, she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, yeah, that's right, you've been married five times and the one you're living with now is not even your husband. You're kind of living in sin. And she goes, oh my goodness, I perceive that you are a prophet. And Jesus says, "Uh, yeah, pretty much. And so the woman here... You know, she, she's aware of what's going on. And then she, she says, now, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, talking about Mount Gerizim, but uh, you say that in Jerusalem you need to worship, and that's in verse number 20. And Jesus says unto her in verse number 21, he says, woman, the, the hour uh, cometh now is where neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem you shall worship the Father. And then he goes on talking with them, and, um, and then the disciples come back in verse number 27. And then when the disciples come back, The woman has started to understand who Jesus is, and so what does she do? She leaves her water pot. Look, please, at verse number 28. The Bible says in verse number 28, The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Now, what was she doing here? She had understood who Jesus was. She had understood that the promised Messiah was literally right outside her city, seated at a well, and she said, I've got to go let people know about this. Wow. Uh, Excuse me, I'll be back. She leaves her water pot. This is a very expensive Piece that she had and she was supposed to take care of it and she just left it there and she went running off into the city and 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 why is it that she did this because my friend God is worthy that we should get involved now these missionaries that are here tonight they haven't come up here and told you stories of all the horrid and wicked and 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 uh, you know the worst kind of things you can imagine that have happened to them. But some of them in this room, and I'm not going to tell their stories, that's for them to tell. 
Some of them have gone through incredibly difficult situations. You'd be shocked to hear some of their stories. And, and quite frankly, they don't necessarily just want you to think about those stories because they don't want you to feel just sorry for them. They want you to realize that it is a privilege and a joy to serve God. But can I tell you why it is that some of these missionaries who have suffered are planning to go back? Why would they go back? I mean, didn't you learn the first time? I mean, come on. Well, yeah, but, but God's worthy. That's why we have to go back. It, it's not because we think this time it's going to be easier. It, it's not because anybody promised us that we'll never have to face any more obstacles. It's not because we know that from now on it's just going to be smooth sailing. No, can I tell you this? If you're planning to go be a missionary, expect opposition. You're going to have some of the worst trials you can imagine. You say, well, Brother Bill, thank you so much for the encouragement. I want you to know the truth. But don't dwell on that. Think about this. God is worthy. God is worthy. And that's why this woman did this. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 11, Paul writes, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. And then in verse number 17, now into the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. There needs to be this urgency in giving the gospel to those that have never heard. Uh, There needs to be a priority in our ministry, and that priority needs to be the preeminence of Christ. We need, my friend, we need to understand that He is the one who needs to be our focus. Not our needs, not our desires and our wants, but our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you in this room, maybe you have, you know, these amazing dreams of things you're going to do and and you think, man, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to start this company or I'm going to invent this product and I'm going to have great wealth. My grandfather, during the Depression, decided to work hard and within a few years, he was almost a millionaire when my grandfather was called to the ministry. At that time, my grandfather owned two different gas stations, two different tire stores, a 110-acre farm that had all kinds of animals on it. He had his own car, his own house. He had other land that he had. And then God called him to preach, and he sold everything. He then went to Texas. I mean, can you imagine a student coming to Bible college, and they've got tens of thousands of dollars in the bank? I mean, he was set. And so what did he do? God put upon his heart to move to Lubbock, Texas. He went there and he bought land. He paid for it with his own money. He built a 300-seat auditorium. He built a a, a parsonage, a a home for his wife and and his five kids. And and then he moved his family out to Lubbock, Texas so that he could be the pastor. And he started going door knocking and he brought all the people in. He paid personally for everything there out of this money that God had given to him when he was still a businessman. And then all of a sudden, God called him to be a missionary. And so he signed everything over to the church, and he just went to Mexico. Who does something like that? Someone who is convinced that our God is worthy. Our God is worthy. And so that's why we need to be involved in missions. Why should I be involved in missions? First of all, because God commanded me to be involved in missions. Secondly, because God is worthy that I should be involved in missions. When the Samaritan woman realized with whom she was speaking, boom, she's off. 
to go take care of some business. And maybe there's someone here that needs to go take care of the business of letting others know about Jesus Christ. But there's a third reason why I need to get involved in missions, and that is because God uses us when we get involved in missions. God uses us when we get involved in missions. Now let's imagine that Dr. Tice says, um, Liberty Baptist Church, we're going to have a big soul-winning push, a big soul-winning effort into Henderson. Henderson's just south of here, as I understand it. And so uh, we're going to have this big soul-winning push, and, and we're going to get the families all together. We're going to go down there. We're going to spread the gospel. We're going to go house to house. We're going to try to visit every home in Henderson and give them the gospel. Have you ever done something like that in Henderson? Okay, so let's imagine you're going to do this. Now watch. He begins to think, who is he going to choose for this task? And pastor, would you choose one of the fine ladies of Las Vegas who's been married five times and is currently living with a guy that's not her husband to take care of that project of going to Henderson and helping all those people know about Jesus Christ? Is that who you'd choose? I'll go ahead and answer for him. No way. Sorry, church. I don't think so. He'd probably look for somebody who's a Bible college graduate. Somebody who, who man, they know, you know, the Word of God. Someone who, who's above reproach. Someone who's a fine example. Would I be right, Pastor? Probably, yeah, yeah. But I want you to notice what happened here. Who was it that God used that day? Notice in verse number 30. Then they, that is the men of the city, went out of the city and came to him. Who was it that got the men of the city to come out? It wasn't the 12 trained disciples. It wasn't those guys who had spent the last three years with Jesus, sitting at his feet, listening to his teaching. Those guys went into the 7-Eleven in Sychar and came back with nothing but burritos in their bag. Okay? They were far more interested in getting groceries than they were in giving the gospel. They didn't care about the Samaritans. They didn't speak to anybody from what I can tell. They didn't encourage anyone, hey guys, you've got to come out and meet Jesus Christ. This is the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. Hey, he created the world. He's sitting right outside of the city. He's on a well out there. Would you guys come with me? No. No, they went into the city and came back out to Jesus without a single person. She goes into the city and all the men come out. You see, God uses us when we get involved. I want you to think about this for just a second. God seeks willing people, and he empowers them. God does not seek people because of their abilities. God knows what he can do in you and through you, and that's why he asks you if you'll get involved. But if you'll get involved, my friend, God's going to use you. Some of these missionaries that are here, they would tell you, you know what, I, I don't know that I'm, I'm the best candidate for the job that I've been sent to do. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Brother Bill, uh, you know, I don't know if I have the linguistic skills that I really even need to be doing what I'm doing. 
And, and Brother Bill, I got to tell you, I, I'm not sure that I'm such a, a you know, a, a, an expert in, in cultural adaptation because, you know, sometimes I make these incredible mistakes here in this country where I live. And, and there's other people that are far better trained than me, and I wish they would go and do it, but, but they're selling cars. And, and, and they're taking care of their businesses back in America. And, and they're saying that they can't come to the mission field to, to preach the gospel. And so since nobody else was willing, then I, I, I said, well, you know, okay, here am I, send me. Not because I'm the best qualified, but I am willing. God will use us if we'll get involved. God enables and empowers those who want to serve him. John chapter 8 and verse number 29, Jesus said, I do always those things that please him. I remember back, and, and, and Dr. Tice has told you, he knows my Uncle Tom Kilmer. Back in 1997, my Uncle Tom Kilmer called me from Brazil. He said, Bill, I need your help. I said, okay, what's up? He said, uh, we're trying to do this revision of the Bible into Portuguese, and uh, <laughs> it, it, we need some help in, in, in uh, you know, looking back into Greek and to Hebrew and telling us if it's a good translation into Portuguese. And, and we were wondering if you could be a textual consultant for, for this particular project. And I said, well, Uncle Tom, there's one problem. I don't speak Portuguese. Uh, you know, it's not really my forte. I, I don't know Portuguese. And he's like, oh, that's not a problem. You can learn it. Does that sound like my Uncle Tom? Yeah. Oh, you don't speak Portuguese. No problem. You can pick it up. And so uh, I, I thought to myself, yeah, sure, that's easy for you to say. Um, he, he said it's a very easy language. And so I went to Brazil, and I found out that people down there say he can't speak it. But anyway, um, so, so he says, well, would you help us? And I said, well, I, I don't think I can. I, I don't think I'm qualified. And he said, well, would you at least pray about it? And some of you already know that when somebody asks you to pray about it, you're probably going to say, yes, I'll pray about it. And you're probably going to wind up doing it because that's just the way God works. And so I started praying about it. And God says, yeah, you've got to get involved. And so I got involved. And I began to help. And for the next 14 years, from 1997 until 2011... The Lord allowed me to be a part of this translation project in Portuguese, a language that I did not previously speak. Now, I've learned a lot in those years. I, I now have the privilege of going to Brazil, Dr. Tice, and I preach without an interpreter, and I've actually never spent a day in any class learning Portuguese because I really did learn a lot. The Lord answered a lot of prayers because I, I needed His help. But here's the point. God will use you if you'll just get involved. Why should I get involved in missions? Well, first of all, because God's commanded me to get involved in missions. Secondly, because God is worthy that I should get involved in missions. Third, because God will use me if I'll just get involved in missions. But number four, and this is perhaps the greatest, God is going to bless me when I get involved in missions. I want you to see what happens here. We're going to jump down to verse number 39 in our text. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word and said unto the woman, now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. 
The Bible says in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. You see, there's a fourth reason why we need to get involved, because God is going to bless us when we get involved. He's going to bless us beyond what we can imagine. God allows far greater blessings than we could possibly imagine that God is going to give. God does things that blow our minds. God, God uses us in ways we could never imagine. When my wife and I first went to India, we, we noticed, my wife especially noticed that the children were running around all the church area, you know. And uh, they believed in India that you could not be saved until you turned 18. They believed that before the age of 18 that your mind wasn't developed enough and you couldn't actually accept Christ as your Savior. And so they just let the kids run around during church. And the kids were running all over the place. And so she asked if she could start a class. And begrudgingly, they said, well, okay, you can start a class. Well, then these kids started getting saved. And then my wife began to write music, songs for them. And she wrote all kinds of songs. And uh, she began to teach the young ladies in the college how to have children's classes and how to teach children about salvation. And uh, we, we used the Abeka flag cards if you've ever seen those great big cards and I mean they're beautiful and we, we started getting those and, and giving those away uh, to the ladies that we were teaching and then they would go and start Sunday schools in other places and now because of what God allowed my wife to start there are Sunday schools all over India that have ladies that were trained by my wife or ladies who were trained by the ladies that were trained by my wife and they sing these songs that my wife wrote in Sunday schools all across that country do you realize that if you'll just get involved, God's going to bless you in ways that are far beyond what you can imagine? Now, I want to go back to that Portuguese Bible that I was asked to work on. <laughs> I still can't believe what God's done with that. By God's grace, we published the whole Bible. It was a revision in 2011. Since then, 8.5 million whole Bibles have been distributed. 85 million New Testaments and Psalms and Proverbs have been distributed, and 15 million downloads of our Bible app with that particular text have been downloaded, giving a total of 110 million individual users of a text that I helped to translate because I decided, okay, I guess I can do whatever I can. And God says, watch this. Now, you might be here tonight, and you're kind of like on the verge. You're just not sure. Should I get involved? Should I not get involved? Does God really want me to do this? Is this just my idea? Am I supposed to go, or am I supposed to stay? What am I supposed to do? Lord, help me. I just want to tell you tonight, one of the greatest decisions you'll ever make is just to say, Lord, here am I. Send me. I'm here. I'm available. You, you want to use me? Lord, I, I, I am totally available to do anything you want me to do. Now that may mean that you're going to have a dream that's going to need to die tonight. You may have to say, Lord God, I'm willing to sacrifice this thing that I thought was going to be awesome, that I wanted to do. I'm just going to sacrifice that on the altar for you, Lord, because I want my life to, to count for you. And so, Lord, I don't really care about everything else. I just want to go do your will. But my friend, if you'll get involved in missions, 
You're going to prove to the world that, yes, God has given us a command that we still need to obey. You will also show the world that our God is worthy that we should get involved. And then the world is going to see that God is going to use you and God is going to bless you. Heavenly Father, would you please help us tonight? Lord, would you please just help us to see the world as you see the world? Lord, you told your disciples to lift up your eyes and look upon the fields for they are white unto harvest. Lord, you looked upon the multitudes and your heart was moved with compassion because they were scattered abroad as sheep that had no shepherd. Lord, how do we see the world? Lord, I know sometimes for myself, I, I look at others as maybe an obstacle to avoid or, Lord, just, I'm so sorry, Lord. But Father, tonight I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be faithful. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, nobody's looking. There's already some that are up here praying. If God has spoken to your heart and you have a decision that you believe God would have you make, would you leave your place and come on up to the front? Maybe there's a decision even now, and that's fine. How many here tonight would say, Brother Bill, all I have and all I am tonight, I give to the Lord. I want Him to use me however He wants to use me. You say, Brother Bill, I've never done anything like that before, but tonight, if there's any aspect of my life that God wants, I hereby give it to Him. If that means that someday I go preach the gospel to someone else, if it means I need to be more involved in my own church, whatever that means, whatever that is, I want God's will to be done in my life. If that's true, would you raise your hand? I'd like to be able to pray for you. Amen. All over the auditorium. Amen. God bless you. 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 You can lower your hands. Thank you. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, you know, Brother Bill, as, as I think about missions, I've, I've never had the privilege of leading a soul to Christ, but with God's help, I'm going to ask God to help me to bring someone to his feet and let that be sooner rather than later. And you say, please pray for me. I've, I've never had that privilege, but I want that privilege of bringing someone to Christ. If that's true, would you raise your hand? I'd like to pray for you. Amen all over the auditorium. Amen. God bless you. Amen. God bless you. Now, maybe you're here tonight and you'd say, Brother Bill, if I were to die today, I'm just not certain I'd spend eternity with Christ in heaven, and I just need to be saved. Please pray for me. Pray that God would help me to know that I can be on my way to heaven. Is there anyone at all like that? Would you slip up your hand with mine? I'd like to pray for you. You'd say, please pray that I can be saved. Amen. God bless you. Anyone else? You'd say, please pray. I need Jesus Christ as my Savior. I need to be saved. Is there anyone at all? Anyone else? Just slip up your hand high enough so I can see it. Keep it up there until I can see it. Amen. Very well. Now tonight I'd like to ask church if we could do something. God wants us to get involved in missions. But I think sometimes it, it needs to be made very practical. It needs to be very, very, very plain. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to pray and ask God that he would help in the rest of this invitation, but then I'm going to ask you to help me in this next part of this invitation. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would continue to guide and direct my words and my thoughts as, as I speak to your people tonight. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to obey your will for our lives. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. 
Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.